Caleb? Caleb? Oh, are you around? Oh, there you are. Hey, hey, you ready? It's time for the show. Come on, I'm, I'm going to let you out now. Come on. Oh, yeah, I'm ready. Yeah, yeah, I'm ready. Welcome to issue 192 of Critical Encounters, a podcast about Marvel Champions, a living card game by Fantasy Flight Games. Here we take a good look at that most critical piece of the game, the encounter sets. We'll discuss those poorly understood characters, unfairly labeled villains, and their various plans to shape humanity and benefit the planet, as well as those so-called heroes intent on thwarting them. I am a one of your hosts, Caleb, and joining me tonight is Daniel. Caleb, welcome back. It's great to have you in the lair again. Thanks. And Steve. Hey, Caleb. How's it going? Pretty good. Good to be here again, um, especially after a really long stay in Spot World. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, were, uh, you were in there for a while. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, you guys owe me big after that one. <laughs> well, just consider it a uh, sabbatical. Yeah, yeah, I was supposed to have one of those. <laughs> this is probably Mike's fault, isn't it, Steve? I blame Mike, but yeah, he's going to blame me. So That could explain why he's not here. Oh, is that why Mike's not here tonight? Yeah. yeah. He's scared and ashamed. <laughs> well, our folks hear that voice, Caleb Grace. No, it does not need any, any introductions, but I'm going to give him one anyways. Caleb is senior game designer, Marvel Champions been around you've been on the show great to have you back thanks for coming on yeah it's always fun to chat with you guys yeah and tonight we're gonna do something different we are not doing an interrogation room we're gonna do a shadows of the past and we're gonna look at cyclops's nemesis mr sinister and caleb is gonna tell us all about mr sinister well i'm gonna give you a little bit of insight there is way too much to tell to tell you all about mr sinister Okay. Well, yeah, we'll get we'll get some origins, you know, like mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. You want me to dive in? Yeah, let's get right to it. Let's not waste any time. So the floor is yours. Oh, okay. So I, I heard where's <laughs> yours, and I'm like, where's my Mister Sinister? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Can't keep track of that guy. Uh, yeah, you know, it's funny when you guys invited me to to come on and do this. I, I realized that. Uh, Mr. Sinister has really been one of my favorite uh, X-Men villains since I was a kid. You know, like when I first discovered comic books, um, I know I've talked about before, like I got into it with like, you know, X-Men number one, 1991, Jim Lee, Chris Claremont. But what was fun about getting into comics at that time is that I started following that book monthly, right? As it's advancing forward through the timeline. But I also started like, going and, and searching for the back issues, you know, to learn more about these characters that I was following. So it was kind of like I was exploring the X-Men in two different directions simultaneously. And as I was exploring backwards uh, into the history of, you know, X-Men and X-Factor and, and Cyclops and, and Phoenix and, and the rest, you know, um, Mr. Sinister really came up and featured very heavily. Uh, and I have this real vivid memory of reading the Inferno uh, storyline for the first time, like when I was probably younger than I should have been to be reading that. So it's a pretty dark storyline um, where like a, a portal to, um, oh gosh, what is the limbo? The limbo dimension like opens up to New York and New York's like overrun with demons and it's really terrifying. And you you kind of learn in the epilogue that Mr. Sinister was like a key figure in setting all of that into motion. And um and then you guys all remember the 90s cartoon, right? Yeah. Um, the the epic animated series. Yeah. yeah, it's so good. Well, and they're supposed to be making like X-Men 97 or something like that. Like it's like a true sequel to it. Um, I haven't oh, been okay. able to follow that yet. But in any case, Mr. Sinister obviously featured very heavily in that show as well. So when I think of the X-Men, Magneto's always the first the the OG that I think of, but but right behind him is is Mr. Sinister for me. Um, so I was kind of excited you guys asked me to to talk about this, and so I'm going to geek out about it for for a couple minutes here. Um, I actually started going back and like reading up on him again, trying to like 
get the details right because uh, he's been around since 1987. And if you follow Marvel Comics at all, you know that there's constantly uh, revisions to the history and retcons and all this stuff. So I was trying to like find that, that through line of like what's always been true about him and, and what's relevant to, uh, to the card game and how we decided to ultimately uh, portray him as Cyclops' nemesis minion. Um, so for starters, as I mentioned, uh, he, he was introduced in 1987, created by Chris Claremont, the, the legend himself, and uh, Mark Silvestri, uh, who, if you don't know, uh, Mark Silvestri is a brilliant uh, X-Men artist and, and was probably you know, up there with Jim Lee f- in terms of impact on, on those characters. And um, so what I love about Mr. Sinister, though, is like you, he's one of these characters they built up to before they actually like, showed him for the first time. So he, he first gets mentioned by name in Uncanny X-Men issue 212 as the employer of the Marauders who are currently um, in, in the midst of, of the Mutant Massacre storyline where they've gone into the Morlock tunnels and they're, they're killing off the Morlocks. Uh, and so we're introduced to, to the idea of Mr. Sinister as the person who's behind this atrocity. And then, uh, and then he's teased again in the next issue in 213 as a silhouette. Which, uh, which is kind of fun, because if, um, if you follow any of our articles at FFG, when we uh, it, you know, announce a new wave, oh, yeah. we often do our own silhouettes, right? So I, I love that we're, we're connected to that history with Marvel. Of like, this was, they're putting a lot of effort into building up this character before he finally makes his true first appearance in Uncanny X-Men uh, 221. And... Uh, this is the one I had to go back and, and read it again today just to, to see in all its glory. And it's, it's pretty impressive. You get, you get like a full-on big image of Mr. Sinister like right at the beginning of the book. And it's the first time you see him. And he's, he's kind of over the top in his appearance, you know. Um, but the way he was written was so gripping that you just kind of went with it, you know. And uh, you guys, uh, if, if you ever watched Star Trek, you know, the, the wharf theory of like, Anytime you want to introduce a villain and, and establish that they're really tough, the first thing they would do is like smack Worf around. Mr. Worf! Emergency, Dr. Pulaski to the bridge. You guys ever yeah. see that on the yeah. show? It's like they introduce the Borg, and the first thing the Borg does is like knocks Worf out, you know. Um, so it's kind of the same thing here. We're like, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sinister is like redressing. I've never heard that theory. Oh, no. Oh, it's totally it's a so thing. True. Like, now that I like, think back on the show, yep. Yeah. There's yeah, like a great. super yeah. cut. Yeah, go to YouTube and, and there's like a super cut of Worf just getting smacked around left and right. <laughs> the poor guy. I heard the actor actually when he went to DS9 was like, enough already. Like I'm not getting smacked around anymore. And so in DS9, he's like the opposite. He like ends all the fights. <laughs> he's just the man. Um, but in any case, uh yeah, Mr. Sinister kind of gets an introduction where he's He's just chewing out the Marauders for failing to kill Madeline Pryor. And we don't fully understand his relationship to her yet at this point. Um, but he's basically like, I hired the best assassins in the world, and all you had to do was kill an unarmed woman, and you couldn't do it, you know? And Sabretooth doesn't like getting yelled at, so he's like, I'm going to gut you. And Sinister just like smacks him aside, just like, like it's nothing, which is kind of amazing if you know like Sabretooth's history of Wolverine. Like, he's a scrapper. So. Oh, yeah. um, they really set him up very quickly with uh, the tease and the silhouette, and then finally in his first appearance, just showing he is not to be trifled with, you know? So uh, that definitely, I think, as far as introductions go, he, he made a big splash right from the start. And after that, it led directly into the Infernal storyline that I mentioned, which was, was pretty gnarly, where, spoiler alert for a really old comic book, he... Uh, he and the rest of the Marauders are, are killed in that storyline. Uh, or at least that's what we're led to believe. But like any good comic book villain, right, you can't keep him down forever. So he, he reappears in the mid-90s, 
and now he's leading the very 90s titled Nasty Boys. Uh, nice. <laughs> which I love. I loved how much they use those in the animated series because in the comics, they were really just like a blip on the radar. You know what I mean? Like, if you collected comics, the Nasty Boys were around in the 90s, but that was it. They weren't there before and they weren't there after. They're just gone. <laughs> but uh, they were such a central part of the, the cartoon show that I think everyone remembers them. Um, but yeah, we get them so, uh, in the next evolution box, so that's cool. Yeah, that was something that I actually asked Tony for. I was like, man, X-Force is, to me, because it, it debuted in the 90s, right, with, with Rob Liefeld's X-Force number one. Um, it's just, it's a 90s book in my head. I know that, like, Rick Remender did, like, a brilliant run on it where it's, you know, a lot more updated and more serious, but just because that was my first exposure to it, like, that's where my brain goes. And so I was like, man, we got to get some good 90s camp in this next evolution. Like, can we please get the nasty boys in there? And of course, he was game for it because Tony's a lot of fun. Um, cool. But speaking of 90s, like, you guys remember the Age of Apocalypse storyline? Like, that whole event where they canceled all the X-Men titles and, and like, ended the Marvel Universe for a minute. And it was, like, rebranded the Age of Apocalypse. I don't, I don't know that. I, I had I really paying attention. Oh my gosh. Oh, it was like, uh, it was just huge. It was like Marvel was kind of struggling at that time because uh, like some of the guys I mentioned, Mark Silvestri, Jim Lee, and five other of their top artists, including like Rob Liefeld and Todd McFarlane, they all left Marvel to establish Image Comics. And as a result, there was just like a total like brain drain and and, um, talent drain. So all the Marvel books like took a big hit. And, and they were really struggling for a minute there. And they really rallied and regrouped with the Age of Apocalypse. That was like the story that kind of helped them bounce back. And um, for people who experienced it, it's like remembered really, really well. Like it, it, I think there's a lot of nostalgia there. And uh, definitely check it out sometime if, if you're at all interested. And, and Mr. Sinister, I bring it up because Mr. Sinister was a prominent feature of that of that story as well, even though it's like an alternate universe kind of thing, it's still cemented. Mr. Sinister as one of the top echelon, like X-Men villains or X-Men characters. Um, okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, take a look. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and more recently, actually, I was really excited to see, I say more recently, but at this point it's still more than 10 years old, I think was, uh, an X-Men crossover called Messiah complex where, uh, the, the mutants were like, uh, endangered species after the house of M and, and uh, Scarlet witch saying no more mutants. And there's only like a couple hundred mutants left on the planet after that. And, and uh, the first mutant child is born in, in years and she becomes the focal point of this like uh, race to find her. And everyone has their own, you know, idea of what they think she needs to be to the mutants. And, Mr. Sinister, of course, wants wants to get a hold of her. And so he's actually regrouped the Marauders at this point. And if you remember a minute ago, I said they were all dead. And so it's like, we find out he's cloned them all and brought them all back. Like, um, So it was cool to see him there again. I, that was a book I found at Gen Con, actually. And I, I just poured through that book on the, the bus ride home at the end of the event. And it was some of the most fun I had reading X-Men comics. And it was really exciting for me to see Mr. Sinister and the Marauders again and featuring so prominently. And that's another great story. That's where, that's where we get introduced to Hope Summers. If you guys are playing Next Evolution, then you, you've seen Hope Summers in the book. Yep. Yep. And that's, that's her. And she's the first mutant born after the, the events of House of M. And so I'm getting into a whole lot of convoluted X-Men history at this point. And that's, that's as far as I'll go. Cause it's just too much. It's just too- that's every Marvel story. Yeah. <laughs> Right, it's just enough yeah. to give you a sense of like what a what a central player he is in in the lives of the X Men and and all the various crossovers and you know earth changing events that he has. Um, but the so, the thing, oh, go ahead, hop in there. Well, well Caleb, I was just going to ask you. So, what can this guy do? What uh, makes him, what makes yeah, him so that's, bad? That's what's kind of fun, right? It's like his he was always kind of like vague about. It's it's not like Magneto where he comes out and says, I'm the master of magnetism and I can control metal and just kind of announces it and then that's his thing. Instead, it was sort of like, what is this guy's thing? And you see him throttle Sabretooth. You're like, oh, well, he must have super strength, right? 
And then a minute later, he'll zap somebody with an energy beam from his hands. And you're like, oh, he shoots energy beams too? Like, where'd that come from? <laughs> you know? And then later on, you'll find out that he's shielding the marauders from being detected by Professor X uh, mental powers. They're like, wait, so he has mental powers? Like, what's going on? And um, that's all really connected kind of to like his origin, which is pretty convoluted because it turns out like, you know, Mr. Sinister, his real name is, is Nathaniel Essex. And he, he was born in like Victorian age England, like London. And he became uh, like an early geneticist and predicted the rise of the mutant race. And he gained the attention of Apocalypse, who then partnered with him and gave him powers. Um, and kind of over time, he continued his experiments and started to get more power. So he's always been obsessed with mutants, even though he wasn't originally a mutant himself. And what he would do is just like, you know, do experiments and he would try to like get like kind of like we represented in the story of, of Next Evolution, where he's trying to capture people and, and, and capture their powers and add them to his. I thought Tony represented that really well. It was fun to watch him do it of like here he's unlocked flight or he's unlocked telepathy. And that because that's what he does mm. in the comics is he's he's constantly doing some shady stuff, trying to get a hold of people's genetic information and and then splice it with his own and so he's it actually turns out he's cloned himself several times over um and every time he does he's like adding more to the mix you know trying to make himself more powerful um and so that's why he he can really kind of do whatever the writers want him to do (laughs) that's convenient well that makes him omnipotent yeah it it makes him scary that's for sure And and it's been fun to watch um, but I also like that despite how powerful he is, he still likes, he prefers to work from the shadows. And he likes sending out the marauders. I like how he recruits people. It turns out that in the past, he actually recruited Gambit before Gambit ever met the X-Men. And, and so Gambit actually has a little bit of blood on his hands from his involvement with the mutant massacre. He didn't, he didn't kill anybody, but he helped assemble the marauders and lead them to the tunnels as, as part of a deal with Mr. Sinister, because he didn't fully understand what was about to go down. Um, so he really, like, he's a manipulator, right? Um, so another Star Trek analogy would be, like, he's like the Romulans, you know? <laughs> he doesn't, right. He's not like the Klingons who wants to fight directly. He, he likes to, to, to plot and scheme in, in the shadows. Um, but his relationship to Scott Summers and Jean Grey, that's, that's where the real heart of the story is. Like, that's that's how he was introduced to me through that Inferno storyline um, because he's always seen Scott Summers and Jean Grey as sort of like the apex of, of the mutant gene. And he speculated that if they were to ever have like any offspring, then their children would be even more, they would be like the ultimate mutant. Um, and because he was tied to Apocalypse and wanted to kind of get out from under his heel, he was looking for a way to create a mutant powerful enough that could defeat Apocalypse. Um, and so, it, you know, I don't know how familiar you guys are with, with Cable. Um, he's in the Next Evolution box. Um, it was revealed through the comics that he is the son of Scott Summers and, uh, and kind of Jean Grey. <laughs> I say kind of because... It was his mother is actually a clone of Jean Grey named Madeline Pryor. So this is this is typical Marvel, like Chris Claremont. Like it's there's all these caveats, right? <laughs> right. Well, isn't Madeline Pryor the person he tried to assassinate earlier? Yeah, that's when you brought exactly. up the game, right? okay. Yeah. 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 Well done. I was. I know it so much. The fact that you guys are actually able to keep up and keep track, I feel okay. <laughs> yeah. Good. I'm doing an okay job of explaining well, it. Well, and then, like it was Dark Phoenix was a clone of Phoenix, and this person is a clone, and he's a clone of himself. Marvel would be in real trouble without clones, I think. Right, exactly. Yeah. So the the whole Phoenix thing was such a cop out. It was just like everyone was so sad that Jean, because Chris Claremont intended Jean to die. She was supposed to stay dead, but they were like, no, you have to bring her back. And so it was like quick retcon. Okay, Phoenix restored her before you know she was defeated or whatever. Um, but. I thought it was clever, though, how Claremont connected that moment that you just alluded to uh, to Madeline Pryor's creation. Because in the Inferno storyline, 
what's really at the heart of it is like Madeline Pryor has grown disillusioned. She thought Scott Summers had a, had abandoned her. There was like they were they were kind of two ships passing in the night. Like he went back to try to find her. She wasn't there. He assumed that she had left him. She thought he left her. So all this bad blood starts brewing. And she goes off the deep end at one point and decides to align herself with the forces of limbo. And part of the deal is she has to sacrifice her baby son to make this portal permanent, right? And so the X-Men are trying to, like, rescue Scott's baby from, you know, Madeline, who is now the Goblin Queen, you know? Um, and she's crazy <laughs> powerful. Yeah, yeah, because she, she has, like, all of Jean's powers, but then she also has these, like, dark sorceress powers from Limbo. Um, but it's in that story, in the epilogue, that it's revealed to Madeline, because Madeline didn't even know this, but she meets Mr. Sinister, and he reveals to her that he created her as a clone of Jean, and that all these memories that she has are actually Jean's memories. It's a total, like, screwing with her mind, right? Um, and it's actually kind of tragic. You know, like you realize that this girl never had a chance. Um, but the X-Men are able to rescue the baby who who eventually grows up then to be Cable. Um, and I think at some point in the future, it's revealed that Cable did actually defeat Apocalypse. So that whole thing worked out the way uh, Sinister intended. Um, and Cable is bothered strong, right? Like that's his that? thing. Cable's like crazy strong, right? Yeah, yeah. Wait, so oh, going back to the Age of Apocalypse, it was actually because you see Cable in the main six one six storyline. He's he's infected with the techno virus, right? It's all up and down his left side. His, like his why his arm looks like it's metal, and it's revealed that like he would have straight up died from it, except that he's so powerful that he's constantly exerting his psychic energy to hold it at bay, right? Nice. So it's like. Basically, whenever he fights a villain, it's like he's fighting him with one hand tied behind his back, you know, and he's still super strong. So in the Age of Apocalypse storyline, you also have Nathan Summers, but he's never infected with the, uh, the, the techno virus. And actually, he goes by Nate Gray. That's, uh, you know, Gene's last name. Um, and so Nate Gray is, is, is called X-Man. And, uh, and in that story, he also like goes toe to toe with apocalypse and he, and is revealed to be crazy powerful. Um, so yeah, yeah, it was, it was kind of was like Mr. Sinister was right about that all along, but yeah, it, it kind of reading it was like, if he, if he really wanted Cyclops's help in doing all this, like, why did he have to be so sneaky about it? Like, couldn't he just explain, <laughs> you know, like, you know, that big purple guy that's always been trying to kill you. Well, I have a plan for defeating him. And all you need to do is hook up with the love of your life. <laughs> I can have a kid. <laughs> like, I didn't really oh, understand. Darn. Like, why all the cloak and dagger, you know? Because <laughs> it turns out, like, he even manipulated Scott as a kid. Because, you know, Scott grew up in an orphanage. And it's revealed, like, later that the orphanage was actually run by Mr. Sinister. And it was a total front, you know? Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of dark stuff in his past. It's like... Uh, Apparently, he just doesn't work well with others, you know, and that's why he, go, he does it this way. Um, but that's how he ended up being Cyclops' nemesis, right? Because he's been there from the beginning, you know, before Cyclops uh, even had his first Ruby Quartz visor, Mr. Sinister was there manipulating him. In fact, it's, it's either stated explicitly or heavily implied that part of the reason Cyclops can't control his eye beams without the visor is because of the experiments that Mr. Sinister did. Oh, um, I don't know if they were physical or psychological, but basically he should have been able to control them on his own and Mr. Sinister ruined that for him. And, and that's why he has to wear the Ruby quartz visor all the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they go, they go way back. And for me as a kid, the first thing I learned about Cyclops and Mr. Sinister was that, well, all these other people could like wail on Sinister for as much as like Wolverine could carve him up as much as he wanted. It wasn't going to stop him. Like, that was one of the cool things about Sinister, is he just seemed unaffected by, by Wolverine's claws. You know, when you're a kid, it's like, oh, but his claws are made of adamantium. They can cut anything. Like, that's exciting when you're a kid, right? And so you're like, oh, Wolverine's going to carve this guy up. Game over. And, and he does. And Sinister just kind of laughs it off. Like, you know, just, just kind of reforms. Like, he has this crazy healing factor. 
Uh, and they actually did that pretty well in the cartoon. Did you guys ever seen those episodes where they'd like they'd try to hurt him and he'd just like reform real quick? They put like a hole through his side and it just sort of like regrows and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, like uh like Play Doh or something. <laughs> it just go yeah. back together. And uh except for Cyclops. If Cyclops hit him with his beam, he couldn't he couldn't recover from that. And so I was always a Cyclops fan, even as a kid. And so for me it was like, yeah, that's my man. He's the only one who can take him, you know. Um and I still don't know why the reason for that was. <laughs> but maybe that's why he put that mental block there to try to, you know, contain this thing that he knew could hurt him. I don't I don't know. Oh yeah, that's possible. Yeah, that's that's how I ended up being the the nemesis in the game was just the that that long like no one has authored more pain in Scott Summers' life than uh, than Mister Sinister, like just the the fact that uh, that he cloned the love of his life and then like manipulated both of them, both Madeline and Scott, into meeting each other and falling in love and having a kid, only then to try to steal the child away and kill her off and. Oh my gosh, just like, not a good guy. <laughs> well, along those lines, Caleb, we often try in this show to figure out a way that we can identify with, sympathize with something. So give us something about Mr. Sinister that gives us some hope for him as a human. Well, he's, uh, he's a brilliant geneticist, you know, um, and that's, that's about all the nice things I can say about him. <laughs> <laughs> Because what he does, who uses his stuff for evil, great. Well, he did have that goal to stop Apocalypse, who was gonna like just end everything, right? There you go. So, well, I mean, kind of. Apocalypse wanted Apocalypse wanted just the strong to survive. He didn't want to kill everybody, just the weak, right? Whereas Mister Sinister really just wants to turn everyone into him, basically. (laughs) Because like later on, that's what he does. Like they kind of reinvented his character again, and like the. 2000s or the 2010s and it was like now his goal was to to like change everyone's genetics to basically be a copy of him and he actually like at one point had like a whole town of mr sinisters you know and and madeline priors just to just to upset scott summers some more (laughs) (laughs) i don't know if i'd want a whole town of me Uh, that, that could be tough yeah he's kind of like the ultimate narcissist i guess he he really loved himself I, wouldn't wouldn't every Mister Sinister just try to like one up the other Mister Sinister? Like, doesn't Great seem like question. it'd be too sustainable. Great yeah. question. In fact, there there actually is a storyline where, wherein some of that actually happens. Okay. And what's the thing on his head? Is it is it a stone set in there? Like one art makes it look like it's like a almost look like a vision type thing. Yeah, and it's the been other drawn. Makes it look like a tattoo. I don't know. What is that? Yeah, it's been drawn differently. I, I think in the, the Nemesis piece we have, it really looks like a gem. Whereas does, yeah. uh, originally, I think if you look up like Mark Silvestri, Mr. Sinister, you'll see it was really more just like, it looked more like a tattoo. Okay. Um, where, where it was just like, I, I, think, I think at one point they did a whole um, thing with Mr. Sinister variants where One's got the diamond, the other one has like the clubs, another one has the hearts, so it's like a poker Yeah, I was going to say, one of the arts has it look like a heart. Yeah, and I didn't really, like that to me felt like kind of a a very late addition and kind of unnecessary to be like, so he's a great geneticist and he really loves poker. And he likes (laughs) cards, yeah. Yeah, Everyone needs a little shtick, right? I'm sure that more than anything else at first, it was just like, a little bit of flourish in the design to help set him apart. Like, oh yeah, and he's got a diamond on his head. You know, probably wasn't much reason behind it at the time. But it's definitely not like a gemstone or a solar, you know, powered infinity a, stone okay. or anything like that. Yeah, all right. It's not a source of any power. No. It's just as him. Okay. He's very yeah, pale no. too. Yeah. Yeah, you'd think with all his uh, genetics he, he might have you know had a little more uh uh, skin pigmentation, or what? What is it that gives you skin pigmentation? I forget right the now. Me- yeah, yeah, right. I was going to say melatonin, but that's not it. Right? Uh, melanin. <laughs> You're on the right melanin. track. Yeah, yeah, right. Melanin. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> melatonin is what you take like fall asleep or something. Yep. Right. Yep. Right. Well, that was awesome. Thanks, Caleb. That's some good, wow. good story. Yeah. Uh, th- yeah, it was it was fun to nerd out about it. Like I said, that goes way back to my childhood and some of my really happy memories of like discovering comics for the first time and i was just lucky enough that the 
the comic that I got into was was X Men by Chris Claremont because he's just a a masterful storyteller, you know. And you can just get lost in this stuff for hours. And so, you know, it's nice to be asked to do it because it used to kind of happen involuntarily sometimes at the office. <laughs> <laughs> We'd start talking about a character, and Danny would be like, "Oh, it's the Caleb Grace Story Hour." You know? <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, this time it was asked for, Caleb. Yeah, I think he meant it kindly too. We 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 would have some some great laughs. <laughs> um, well, Steve, we don't just have people on here to tell us about bad guys. There's always a, we always have a a motive, an agenda. That's right. Uh, we're gonna look at the cards that come in the Nemesis set for this. So, the Cyclops Nemesis is from the Mutant Genesis Wave out of the Cyclops pack. Five cards. Four by title, plus the obligation, and where is Mike to read the obligation? Oh, do I have to do it now? I did it last time, so I think you should do it this time. Okay. All right, well, here is Cyclops' obligation. It's called Lost Visor. Give to the Scott Summers player. Search your hand, deck, discard pile, and play area for Ruby Quartz Visor and place it face down under this card. Cyclops cannot attack. Alter Ego action, exhaust Scott Summers, add Ruby Quartz Visor to your hand, and remove Lost Visor from the game. And it also has two boost icons. Wow. Well, that's kind of different from the, the standard obligation, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. And it is mean. It is mean. Caleb, this is mean. Who made this card? Uh, <laughs> that's, that's me. Uh, but yeah. it's, also, it's also a classic Cyclops trope. That uh, from the very beginning, he's been losing his his visor or his glasses, you know, and it, it was it would be like the same every time, every time they get knocked off by somebody and he would say the same thing. Like, I, I don't dare open my eyes without my glasses. I could kill everyone around me. You know, like it was always the, the same thing. And so I was like, oh, that has to be his obligation. It's just it wouldn't feel complete without this card. Oh, yeah, that's a definite theme home run right there. Uh, I always wondered why I didn't have better straps on those, but okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> like those basketball goggles, right? At least. Like, like really on there, but uh, yeah. Oh, gets... man. The, the fact that you said that just reminded me. Have you guys ever seen on YouTube, there's these uh, X, X-Men videos where Professor X is firing the X-Men individually one at a time? No. You know? So each video is like he's firing a different X-Men. And so he fires Cyclops. And he says what you said. He's like, uh, so I see you're wearing your sunglasses. Like, So the only thing stopping me from being destroyed by your eye beams is, is this glasses you're wearing. Like, why don't you have a strap on them? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty funny. <laughs> Professor, what is this I hear about you downsizing the X-Men? Do you shower with those on? What? Do you shower with your sunglasses on? The, the, the laser beam controlling sunglasses, do you shower with them on? Of course I do. Otherwise, course, I would. Of course you do. Obviously. I mean, I don't, Otherwise, I would, if you don't, you'd be uncontrollably shooting laser beams that kill everyone instantly, just willy-nilly from your eyeballs. No, I would never. So let me ask you, what basically is protecting me and everyone here from certain death? Um, well, I'm, I'm careful. You're careful. You don't ever let loose with a corona? Maybe you want to whip them off? Did they even have some sort of chain on the back so if they did fall off you could find them quickly? No, that would not look cool. Oh, why'd that orphanage get leveled? Scott didn't want to look like a door. <laughs> well, to take a now, look. Caleb, you say this is a recurring trope for his story. I think Ooh. it would be more funny if his alter ego action just <laughs> discarded it back to the encounter deck. Oh, back into his deck? No, like, you know, back into oh, the encounter oh, deck. draw it again and again and again. Oh, yeah. sure. That's yeah. more of a balance issue, to be honest. It, it, well, I'm sure, uh, but it would have been funny. Because uh, there was a few of these <laughs> in this wave. Uh, I think with this wave, I made a, uh, a deliberate effort to try to make the obligations more unique. Because we kind of... Oh, I, I can very easily, as a designer, fall into a rhythm of just, this is how obligations work. You know, do a thing, flip to alter ego, discard it, or remove it from the game, whatever. Um and so I really wanted to think about, okay, how can I do a little more storytelling, you know, sure. uh, make it more interesting. Um, but as part of that, you know, 
when it's more disruptive like this, then then the feedback is like, okay, when it happens once, it's interesting and novel, but if it happens <laughs> more than once in the game, like I just right. don't want to play this character anymore. Yeah, that and the balance too is no one else's does this, right? So Exactly. Well, there's so, one obligation, right, that never leaves the game. I forget whose it is, but it's but there's a couple. I can't remember them off the top of my head. I just know that. But so I can see that being if you're the if you're the Scott Summers player, it's like really again. Yeah. But you're right. Like this is story story opportunity because the obligation is always going to be there. Whereas sometimes the Nemesis sets you can play a whole bunch of games without seeing them. Mm-hmm. There there is a, a, a sort of a hidden upside to the Lost Visor obligation, and that Ooh. is. If you don't have it in your hand or in play at the oh, time, oh yeah, it's a way to get it. It's actually scrying to get it for you, and then it could basically read alter ego action, you know, exhaust to get your your lost visor, you know. That's great. Yeah, so, I've had a game where that happened. Like it came up early. I didn't have the visor yet. It's like, oh, this is great. But mm-hmm. most of the time, that visor's already out, and I'm. Yeah. It's like, oh. Because you know, he can't attack in any form. It's so so cruel. It's great. Yeah, that's why I added that line, Cyclops cannot attack. Because like otherwise, it, it would be weird to have this obligation like, oh, that's handy. Thank you. You know. <laughs> so I like the idea. That was the whole, that was the whole like, he's covering his eyes. Like, he can't attack because he can't, you know, I dare not open my eyes. <laughs> yeah, just can't see to do anything. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you, ha- you have made a bunch of different obligations for the X-Men stuff, which is great. Like, Phoenix, you know, hers could go fetch your nemesis. Uh, there's a bunch mm-hmm. of them that are a little bit, a <laughs> little bit different, and they're a lot of fun. So, yeah, oh, thanks. Yeah. All right, well, let's look at the next card. And Caleb, you got to read the man of the hour card. All right, so this is Cyclops Nemesis Minion, Mister Sinister. He is uh, a one scheme, one attack, six hit point minion with the elite and marauder traits. Uh, one one doesn't seem threatening at first, but then he also has the stalwart, toughness, and villainous keywords. There it is. I knew when I designed this guy, I'm like, he's gonna have the villainous keyword because when I think of villainous, few people embody it better than Mister Sinister. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he also has a boost. In addition to having two uh, pips, he has a, a boost ability that says, "You are stunned. If you are already stunned, take two damage." And the flavor is the fate of mutant race is mine to determine. So yeah, he doesn't he doesn't like uh, like I said doesn't play well with others. No, he doesn't. Uh, so this this is a pretty solid nemesis minion. Toughness and six hit points means he's could stick around maybe a round or so to get that mm-hmm. villainous off. Stalwart's nice. I don't know how often people stun or confuse minions, but since he does have villainous, I think a bit more. Yeah, I feel like usually you're going to take out a minion immediately after it enters play, if at all possible. And right. uh, with the toughness and the six hit points, the idea was like, maybe he'll survive a round to use his villainous keyword. And the stalwart will just make sure that, you know, you're not going to be able to stop him otherwise. Daniel, should he have our favorite trait, you think? I think, I think you could lose stalwart to give him the best one, Caleb, which is, of course, quick strike. You think so? Is Quick Strike the best one? Because if you're in alter ego form, Quick Strike does nothing. True. True. Oh, now's the chance, Daniel. Now's the chance. Let's ask him. When do we get the scheme Quick Strike version? Yeah, quick thinking. Quick, quick thinking. Quick scheming. Oh, okay. So Fast they enter play and scheme immediately? Scheme immediately. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty gnarly. So they, they would, <laughs> it would only work if you were in alter ego form. Like Quick Strike only works if you're in hero form. And so and I think fine. you're talking about you're talking about a keyword that first of all isn't going to trigger very often because the game is designed that you spend about eighty percent or more of the game in hero form. Um, but also, one of the biggest complaints mo- most of, most of the feedback I get is really positive and people are digging the game. But if I get a complaint, it's that it's super swingy when you're playing solo and some of those thre- um, threat thresholds. And solo are kind of low, and so an ill-timed uh, scheme, you know, can you you can actually go from like we're fine to like the villain schemed when I flipped to alter ego, and then they drew advance, and boom, boom, two horrible boost cards, and and we lost right all out, out of nowhere. So 
the idea of like, I'm going to introduce another new keyword that adds even more out of nowhere scheming, really not going to do that because we don't want to exacerbate that issue. Caleb, you know where you are tonight, right? What's right? that? You know where you know where you are tonight. I don't see how this is a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys like losing the game a lot, huh? <laughs> well, we win because we're playing the We villains. win when they lose. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> and I, I think if you had a quick scheme, I don't know what you would call it. I would need, it would need a catchier name than that. I think. No, I like that. If we ever did it, it would have to be called quick, quick scheme. <laughs> quick scheme. I think it would go off all the time. It doesn't matter what form you're in because there, you know, it, it just happens. I think that'd be better than waiting for you to be an alter ego because then the villain would have attacked, so you wouldn't have added a lot of threat. And then they scheme, they scheme, and you'll, you know, so you get a little extra threat. So, now, S- Steve, isn't insight kind of what we want? Oh yeah, yeah, that's pretty close. So, so I guess you just give all these people insight it's- seven. <laughs> <laughs> Something reasonable like seven. Something reasonable like, like that. Yeah. I mean, if he's so villainous and so smart, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. So, what you're saying is we need a keyword for you just lose. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. We're done here. Yeah. Game over. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't points. need it in every set, but, you know, once in a while. Once in a while. Um, six hit points, he should stick around with toughness. Mm-hmm. He should get one villainous moment. Yeah. Or, like we've said in the past, it, the, First, I got to get rid of the toughness. Then you got to waste a big hit on him. Yeah. So there's six or seven damage not going on the villain. So that's nice. And it ain't coming from Scott Summers because he lost his visor. Yeah. So if Scott does have his visor and he plays it right, he could like, what's the the maximum? Maybe hit for 412 or something. Like if he does it right. Full blast. (laughs) Full blast where he could hit for like 11 with piercing. So that. But, I mean, that's a good story moment, though, right? Mr. Sinister showed up. Scott hit him. He's the only Like, Scott's the one that makes Sinister vulnerable. Right. That's a good story. That's that's how they dealt with him at the end of the Inferno storyline. That was a a pretty cool moment. Actually, you'd be surprised how many big X-Men story arcs end with Cyclops just destroying the villain with a full blast. They should start they did the with same that. thing to Apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. Why are they waiting until the last page of the book? Seems like. Right. Jeez. If you know you got this, go to. All right. Right. I guess that's not much of a story, then, is it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, well, Steve, there's got to be oh. something that this guy's trying to do. Yeah. Speaking of story, we have a side scheme called genetic manipulation. Mr. Sinister uses mutant genes to enhance his own powers. When defeated, search the encounter deck and discard pile for gene therapy and reveal it. Shuffle. It has two threat per player, has an amplify icon, mm. and three boost icons. Okay. Um, I like the amplify. is great. So Mr. Sinister's boost card for his villainous is better. The villain's boosts are better. So you want to get rid of it, but when you do, something bad happens. I love when defeated side schemes. Yeah, me too. I I like it as sort of a. I feel like gives the player a little bit of agency to decide like when am I ready to bite this bullet and and take the when defeated effect versus I really want to get rid of that amplify icon. Yeah, what's worse for me right now? Do I keep the Amplify? Do I go for the card? Or, or whatever the effect might be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, three boost icons is pretty typical for a Nemesis side scheme, so that's good. Mm-hmm. Yep. And a low threat. Yep. It's great. Yeah, the, the low threat is, like, tempting you to clear it's, it. It's like, <laughs> how easy is it just to tip over an ally to take care of this or something, you know? And Yeah. But, Steve, it talks about this thing called gene therapy. I wish Caleb were here to tell us about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, maybe he, he should. You guys want me to read that one? Please. Yeah, go for it. Here we go. Uh, gene therapy is an attachment that gives plus two attack. It says attached to the enemy with the lowest printed attack without a copy of gene therapy attached. Otherwise, this card gains surge uh, because there are two of them. So I suppose it would be possible if the villain was the only enemy in play and already had one. 
I guess we decided that would be a bit much to have two. Um, <laughs> and here's why. Because in addition to the plus two attack, it has a forced interrupt that says, when attached enemy attacks, the attack gains overkill and piercing. At the end of this attack, discard gene therapy. So, yeah, you're not hiding from that one. There's, uh, this is going to hit you for a lot. Yeah, and they, they have two boost icons, so that's a nice yeah. number there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He's got a lot of a lot of boost icons on all his cards in his set, doesn't he? Yep. Mike would like this one. Yeah, so it's neat because it goes on the enemy with the lowest printed ATK, which could be Mr. Sinister because he probably will be him. Right. Yeah, it's right. unlikely to be the villain unless he's the only one out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And with villainous, that's a that's a five attack if it comes out right. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, giving it the overkill is nice too, because then the little chump block, you're like, oh well, whatever. I'll... No, no, you can't do that. You're not getting Squirrel Girl for the win. <laughs> <laughs> so this does suffer. Uh, th- I, it does have one flaw. Sorry, Caleb has one flaw. Oh, um, there is no special boost effect that says reveal this card. We we love when the attachments also get revealed, because then you get to really see them and play with them. Mm-hmm. If this comes up as a boost. I I mean it's two boosts, so that's nice. But you don't you don't get the fun of having it out. But I can see there's but there not are a lot two of them, Steve. Yeah. And there's not a lot of room on the card for any extra text. Yeah, no, there's no room for that. Yeah. That's actually one of the, 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 the biggest things that we try to do with champions is to try to keep the, the, the text box pretty clean. You know, these are maybe not the clearest examples of that with Lost Visor is pretty full and gene therapy is pretty full, but you know, we're trying to tell a story there. But otherwise yeah, we, we have some presets that we can work with. They're basically mm-hmm. standard uh, and, and small. You know, um, maybe there's a tiny one. But, but essentially, we don't deviate from those. So if, if we can't yeah. fit it with the preset, then we, don't, then, then we don't add the text. And we just try to find a way to make the, the ability shorter. So in this case, yeah, I, I know what you mean. It's always fun for me to put the, uh, the boost of attach it, especially if it has attack on it. Because then, mm-hmm. in the place of a two boost, you're actually getting a two attack, you know, attachment with the ability that then goes off. Um, actually, actually Caleb, small. what it what it needs yeah. is the special boost that attaches it and then also gives it quick strike. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> that, that that's what we need. You know, um, it's actually kind of a fun idea. Like that's one thing I think we talked about early on. We haven't done as much of, but now now we're talking about. I need to remember to do it again. Is making cards that are really primarily more about boost abilities. Because you can always just slap Surge on a treachery, but then the boost can, can be something wild, you know, where it can do all this stuff like you're saying. Um, I'm, just, I'm actually going to make a note while we're, <laughs> while we're talking about this. <laughs> oh, like, I need to make that rad boost ability. <laughs> you're welcome, players. Yes. I feel like Boggs right. did that. I'm fairly confident that Boggs did something like that in, like, Guardians Most Wanted, or Galaxy's Most Wanted, or where early on it was like, let's do some crazy boost stuff. Um, well, yeah. It's, yeah. It's the the beauty of the design of this game, Caleb, is there's so many places where that option is available to you. Right? There's so many different phases mm-hmm. of the game and like moments of in a phase where you mm-hmm. have opportunities for some kind of wild effect. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, it's story time. Absolutely. Yeah, creates a nice story. Now, who are those people in this art behind him? Who's the skull belted woman? I like that outfit. That's Mystique, right? Mm-hmm. That's okay. Mystique. Yep, yep. All right. And and behind her, uh, if I'm not wholly mistaken, is Lady Mastermind. Um, that's okay. the daughter of Mastermind. I don't remember ever seeing that belt. Yeah, the I think it depends on who's drawing it, how many skulls are actually on it, but the the skull belt has actually been kind of part of Mystique's uh, look from from very early mm-hmm. on. I think it might have originally just been like a single skull, almost like a belt buckle. Yeah, early on. So here, here the artist decided, like, that's not enough skulls. They need to go all the way around. <laughs> yeah, I like that art. I think that's Chris Bacallo art. He's a, a really talented artist. And uh, he's, he's done a lot with the X-Men. I always enjoy his stuff because it's just so different from a lot of the other popular X-Men artists. Okay. Nice. Speaking of art, all of these cards, except for the obligation, are comic pieces. If we're comic looking at the yeah. credits, yep, yep. Yeah. I also think it's interesting that uh, he's got such wildly different hair in all the art. Yep. 
yeah, again, it's, it's just the each artist likes to reimagine the characters a little bit to their own, you know, artistic sensibilities. And so, yeah, Mr. Sinister's kit is actually one of our more diverse kits in terms of art. Often we'll find enough pickup art from like a single issue where we have like all right, the different right. art is one artist. But in this case, what we found was really diverse. Uh, we were kind of just picking from what we could find in, in uh, different places. And so I think, yeah, all four art pieces are, are four different artists. Oh, okay. Speaking of four, there is a fourth card here. Let me read that to us. Please. Uh, concussive force is a treachery. When revealed alter ego, if Mr. Sinister is in play, he schemes. Otherwise, place two threat on the main scheme. When revealed hero, if Mr. Sinister is in play, he attacks you. Otherwise, take two damage with two boost icons. Love cool. it. Yeah. So he'll trigger or you're doing the thing that, you know, the alter ego, you're either putting out the threat, you're putting out the damage, yep. or he's going to trigger. I think, boy, what's worse? If he is out or if he isn't out? Um, you want what's him better for us, I guess. Better for us? You want yeah. him out because he's villainous. But you could, okay, yeah, I, you would get a higher scheme, I think. You'd get more threat on the main scheme if Mr. Sinister was out. But he could attack and you could defend. Otherwise, you just straight up take two damage. Right. No, you want, yeah. you want him scheming with this. Yeah. Because as Caleb's story said, he's a little smarty pants in the shadows. So he oh. wants to be scheming. That's right. Well, and he could maybe have gene therapy on when concussive force triggers. So then he could really be coming at you. Yeah, that's the dream, right? Is the, you got Mr. Sinister with gene therapy and genetic <laughs> manipulation in play. So he's attacking you for three attack with uh, villainous and uh, and a guaranteed extra boost. So <laughs> with overkill and piercing, yeah, sky's the limit there. Yeah, I love it. That's we're just gonna have to make that happen. You know, here's the missing here's the missing thing, Caleb. Gene therapy needs plus two scheme as well. <laughs> That's, oh boy, that'd be a lot, yeah. Because isn't the whole concussive word? I feel like that word. I don't know. It's like, uh, what's the concussive card? Concussive blow. It's like, is that you scheme and then stun somebody, or you stun somebody and then scheme? Aren't they related to each other? Um, it's a Weasley yellow card, right? Yeah, it's a confuse an enemy. If you uh, pay for this card using a fist resource, right. deal three damage to the enemy. It's mm-hmm. punch and punch and confuse. Punch and confuse. Or it's confuse and maybe punch. These these double, I I think of them in my mind as like dual ability treacheries. They're always tricky for me theme-wise. Because if you look at the picture, he's zapping somebody with, you know, the concussive energy from his hand, right? Um, And so in my mind, the the story, the picture is very clearly like he's attacking somebody. He's attacking, yeah. Right? But you can't guarantee that you're going to be in hero form to make that happen. And we're very careful about making abilities that attack you when you're an alter ego. That's kind of a sacred space in the game of like, if we start making cards where you can get attacked in alter ego, that's going to lead to a lot of uh, yeah. sudden losses where people are just disappointed. At there are a couple luck. and it's always exciting, right? There's a couple. <laughs> and I think what makes it fair is like, you know, when you build that deck and you're playing like, okay, I got to be careful. This, this guy can find me in alter ego right. form. Uh, but what it what it ultimately means is we when we make a card like Concussive Force, it's going to have both a hero ability and an alter ego uh, when revealed, and that means you know it's probably going to be split down the middle between attacking and scheming, and so it's like yeah, kind of stretching the theme a little bit to sure, say sure. you know how he's scheming with a Concussive Force. You know, maybe he knocked the guy back into the controller and you know said the thing. <laughs> yeah, or he's um, like. He's like, yeah. out of my way, I have work to do. And he knocks the guy away and then goes off and yeah. does what it is he's got to do. Yeah, I think, I think what I like about the game is it's abstract enough where people can, can tell yeah. that story like you just did for themselves. And, and it works. Yeah. Now, Caleb, you said something earlier in, in, in the show tonight that I've never heard anyone say. The oh. idea that the game was designed, and I think I'm quoting you at least half accurately, <laughs> to be 80% in hero mode. Oh yeah, I haven't heard that. Now, yeah, I I don't I don't know that anyone has ever said that, or I or I certainly didn't oh. think that. I, I know that you're supposed to be like most of these heroes are in hero mode. I mean, it's not like a hard scientific number, you know what I mean? 
we we didn't have any calculus behind that, but right. that I'm sure I've mentioned that somewhere else or or that or that box has or somewhere because that was actually like in our vision for the game. That's great. Like, no, when we great. pitched the game first to the studio and then to to our licensor, mm-hmm. it, it was you know explaining that heroes are double sided so that we can have these cool Marvel comic book style storytelling elements of you're not just sure, Spider-Man, sure. you're also Peter Parker and you have a private life and you have to pay your rent and you know, all of that, but then <laughs> clarifying, yeah. you know, for, for our audience, for the expectations of but you're going to spend most of it in hero form. Mostly you're going to be fighting. Just like the movies, which are 80% Spider-Man, not Peter Parker. So, yeah, yeah, you know, the ones that I like are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's also why it's preference. kind of exciting when you, you get those heroes. The occasional hero where it might actually be closer to half and half. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that they have a life. Their life as a not hero is, is interesting or compelling. Like, I think of um, Black Widow is a mm-hmm. great hero for that. Like, mm-hmm. she spends a lot of time in Alter Ego. And I, that's kind of exciting. But yeah, well, I and never it fits really your character too. Being, being a, a, a master spy and assassin, and you know, a lot yeah. of what she does is undercover, so she can't be in hero form all the time announcing her, her presence. And then there's that hideous Iron Man who's a hero all the time. <laughs> so, uh, hmm. that's interesting. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that I, I feel like we've talked about it before. But oh, I'm sure. Here, I have I the know. memory of a lizard, Caleb. So, sure, it's all good. Fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Daniel's really, really old, so we you know we gotta cut him some slack. I'm old. I'm yeah. There's I there's oh so I feel you. Here. My my memory is uh, is a challenge I have to overcome uh, so often. I can't remember <laughs> what we're talking about right now. Where are we? <laughs> Who are you? Yeah. Well, what are we doing? I don't know, Steve. This is a great set. Yeah. So we normally give it a rating, um, like a school grade rating, like A, you know, A through. D or whatever. It'd be weird for Caleb to grade his own set. I think he should. I yeah, think he, he should. should. I think he should. But he can go. He can go last, maybe, so he can be a okay. surprise. Daniel, what do you got? This is an A plus. You got an obligation that's unusual and super effective against the player. Mm-hmm. You've got an incredible minion with wonderful keywords, and then all these boost icons and just a side scheme that. When you defeat it, your life is worse. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I, I, great. I think I agree with your rating. Um, and I know Mike would give it an A plus too. And there's enough variation in it too, um, which is nice. It's not just three or four of the exact same card. So you get a little bit of everything. Yep. You definitely don't want it shuffled into the encounter deck if you're a hero. Now, Steve, if it does get shuffled into the encounter deck, do you, whether you're... Cyclops or someone at the table with him? Do you play a little different? Uh, like I'm thinking about that 80 20 math. Like, do you? No, maybe I don't 70, think 70 so. 30, or you just start kicking this guy's butt. As I mean, you can't really do much about the side scheme if that comes up, or if he, you know, he's yeah, another yeah. minion he comes up. I don't, it's really only the concussive force that's going to change your sure. okay. math. And maybe you would be like, okay, we're our threat is really close to going over. Uh, how many, you know, I'll look and see how many advances are left in the deck and how many activations for the villain are left. Oh, wait, there's a concussive force could do it too. So that, that card might change your math a little or make you quick run through the discard pile. So Let's see. All right, Caleb, is that to you? Grade your own set. I was just thinking what you guys are saying about, like, do you want to go alter ego? With Mr. Sinister out, I don't want to go alter ego because of that scheme, because the the risk that he could get a three boost, especially with genetic manipulation out there. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to be afraid of. And so I was just looking at the top two, Lost Visor and Mr. Sinister, and realizing, oh, that's the nightmare pull right there. If you get both, and you have to go alter ego, because you can't <laughs> even defeat Mr. Sinister until you get your visor. Like, right, because you can't attack him. <laughs> that, that would be terrifying. This um, is why I never play solo, because I need friends. Yeah, I, I would say overall, I'm really happy with this set. Um, Great. I, I I don't have any any like disappointment with it. the The one thing that I would say, you know, makes it challenging is that it it all relies on Mister Sinister sticking around a turn in order to right. to make that attack with the gene gene therapy or or whatever. And 
So it's going to come down to can the hero take him out before he even gets to to take his action. Sometimes when I'm crafting a set, I try to uh, stack the deck in in the villain's favor to make it harder to take him out. Um, But, you know, there's a fine line just between making that fun versus unfair. And so I think here with six hit points and toughness, I think it's I think it's on the fun side. Um, So, yeah. And isn't the trick too, Caleb, like player count, right? Like four players are going to take this guy out, Mm -hmm. right? A solo, this is a very impactful and meaningful card. Well, you know, I I always think that way too when I look at a card individually, and that's something I've I've had to really um, Mm -hmm. catch myself doing, is that, uh, yeah, you go, oh, four player will take him out of a problem, but then you realize... The other three players might have drawn similar minions yeah, or sites. Yeah, yeah, you know, someone right. probably got exhausted or stunned. Or, you know what I mean? Like, uh, or Drew Mystique, God forbid. Yeah, because sometimes, yeah. sometimes four player, you just see the the encounter deck start to combo more. So not only do you get Mister Sinister, but you get you get point. Gene Therapy and Concussive Force all in the same turn. You know. Yep. Yeah, I think it's always nice when the Nemesis minion can put a hurt on the hero, right? Like if you had the obligation mm-hmm. to Mr. Sensor, the Nemesis minion can always be a little bit tougher than just a regular modular set minion because you see him so infrequently With if you don't get Shadow of the Past, right? So yeah. Giving him that little extra edge, I don't think, it, like, nobody's going to complain too much about, oh, this guy's too hard, right? Because mm-hmm. you don't really see him all that often. And he should be impactful. He is his nemesis, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a Hydra bomber. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, Certainly not. And, and Mr. Sinister is so good, eventually we get him as a villain scenario. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's always fun, too, when we create villains that we've previously introduced as, as uh, minions, and then trying to um sometimes we'll just try to riff off that and say how can we draw inspiration from from the the previous set you know and, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. i think in this case there was a lot of a lot of theme inspiration with genetic manipulation and gene therapy and i really like how tony crafted that scenario with uh, tony and boggs actually boggs did a lot of groundwork on that one too i think so together they came up with something just truly special uh, I guess I can't pass up the opportunity to break up my teammates a little bit. So nice. All we do around here is put each other down. <laughs> it's like a whole village of Mr. Like true team. villains. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's why we haven't taken over the world. We just yeah. can't get along. Busy fighting ourselves. Uh, well, uh, is there more to say or we've come to the close of the Cyclops Nemesis? Probably come to the close. Caleb, it's so great having you here. Talking oh, about that's a lot of fun. Revealing the genius behind the design of this game. Oh, thank you. I think of like the three or four things I said today, and then and Caleb was like, "Well, actually, if you think about it," and then said the opposite, and that is right. <laughs> <laughs> if only we had the videos, you could see me like pushing my glasses up, you know, with uh, yeah, over yeah. my nose. I don't want to get all three my finger. You know, actually, <laughs> actually, um, Caleb, thank you so much for being here and. It's nice that we weren't like, you know, hitting you with the interview questions. You got to be telling stories and telling us about Mr. Sinister, whom you love. So, Mm -hmm. and Caleb also, you know, congratulations on the success of Star Wars. Well, thank you. Great stuff. Saw a lot of your posts from Gen Con and like how how well received it was there. And awesome. Thank you. Really, that's that was just a. A labor of love, and uh, and so it's it shows just absolutely to see how many people enjoy it. All right, well, do you folks out there have a '90s commercial that Mr. Sinister should also be part of, <laughs> with a tagline? We want to know, and you can email us at criticalencounterspod at gmail dot com. We're Critical Encounters on Facebook. You can find our YouTube channel or Patreon by searching for Critical Encounters Podcast. And at Discord, we are Vardain, Big Fomo, and Wandering Took. If you like our show, tell your friends. If you don't like our show, tell your enemies. Hey, Mr. Sinister, take us out. The fate of the mutant race is mine to determine. Oh, my goodness. 
Can I can I share one more little factoid? Please. Of course. I almost forgot, and this is actually this is the the, the creme de la creme, and I hope everyone will like go and, and look this up after. Maybe we'll drop a link in the show notes. But as I was like digging into, you know, uh, remembering, okay, you know what? Who is Mister Sinister to the books and the, the cartoon and popular media? Like he. He really was like the the X Men villain of the '90s, you know, and 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 to that effect, he actually features in a Chef Boyardee commercial <laughs> from oh. 1994. <laughs> Whoa, yeah. Okay, and I'm gonna insert that commercial right here. They've got Wolverine. They've got Storm. Even Beast. Right where those mutants. In a can. <laughs> New from Chef Boy RD, all your favorite X-Men in pasta shapes and excellent sauce. We got them. And only you can set them free. New X-Men pasta. It's not just a meal, it's an adventure. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a little uh 30 second gem you can find on YouTube. I, I have the link I'll share with you guys. Yes, uh, please. It just doesn't get any better than that. You know, villains wow. really Getting their 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 time in the limelight, you know, getting some recognition. Well, that one's got to eat too. The <laughs> X Men have been canned. Mister Boyardee. Wow, I love this. Like, awesome. I made a note because it's like I got to share that with you guys. It'll be so much fun. I hope everyone really enjoys that. It was. Oh, thank you for remembering that, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> 